Hello and welcome back to Pastoral Parsha. I'm Hody Nemus, a third-year rabbinical student at YCT Rabbinical School. And I'm Michelle Friedman, Chair of Pastoral Counseling at YCT. In each episode of this podcast, we explore psychological insights gleaned from the Torah portion of the week. And we also share with our listeners concepts and techniques that are taught in the Pastoral Counseling Program at YCT, where we try to integrate Torah wisdom and contemporary understandings from modern psychology. Today, we're talking about Parshat Miketz. It's towards the end of the book of Bereshis, Genesis, and it's the Parsha that we always read on the Shabbat of Hanukkah. Our theme today is how to talk so you will be heard. And we're particularly going to focus in on two characters who have very important conversations. The two brothers, Ruvain and Yehuda, who have very different styles of talking when it comes to communicating with their brother Yosef and especially with their father Yaakov. How to talk so you will be heard. So that's a theme throughout our Parsha, and it opens with uh, Joseph making perhaps one of the most persuasive speeches in the Torah, where he somehow finagles his way into becoming viceroy of Egypt uh, from being a simple prisoner. So what about the, the, the showdown that comes later in our Parsha when Joseph has raised the stakes? He says, you have to bring me my, my well, he doesn't say my brother, but bring Benjamin to Egypt, Binyamin, uh, or I'm not going to release your other brother, Shimon, I'm not going to uh, you know, supply you with, uh, with food. So the brothers have an issue now. They need to convince their father to release Binyamin so that he'll come to Egypt. And um, Judah, Yehuda, and Ruvain, they take two different approaches to convincing their father. Basically, Yaakov refuses to release Binyamin. And he, he complains that they, they're, they always, you always cause me problems. I already lost Yosef. I don't want to lose my other son. So how do you respond? So Ruvain takes one tack and he says, you may kill my two sons if I do not bring Binyamin back to you. And um, Yaakov says, no, right. <laughs> it doesn't work. Right. So this is a rather shocking uh, thing that Ruvain says. And it contrasts, is a stark contrast to what Yehuda says, where he says, Send the boy in my care and let us be on our way, that we may live and not die, you, we, and our children. He says, I will be a guarantor for him. You can hold me responsible forever if I don't bring him back to you. Um, I shall stand guilty before you forever. So we have two very different approaches here. Right, and so I guess what I'm curious about is, First of all, what leads them to take these differing approaches? Because it seems like these are must be rooted in sort of their worldviews, their personalities, and their histories. For sure. And also, why um, why does one succeed where the other so miserably fails? Now, Ruvain, we know from the past, is a hothead. Just a couple of, not that long ago, he impulsively, it seems, sleeps with his father's concubine. That's right. And he isn't. there doesn't seem to be any punishment for it. But no. it must be known. It must be known. And at the end of his life, we find out that Yaakov very much knows about this. That's right, because that's going to be in Yaakov's send-off brachas. Exactly. That's what he's going to say about Ruvain the hothead. Exactly. So his reputation, to go back to what we were saying earlier, before this conversation even happens, is already established. That he's somebody who just 
is a hothead. He is just says whatever comes to mind. He doesn't censor. That's right. And he might come across as passionate, but as mercurial. Mm-hmm. And he's the firstborn, so he, he's used to having perhaps a lot of power. Right. And he's also the firstborn of an unloved mother. So he's right. the one who bears the brunt, perhaps, mm-hmm. of that unmetabolized feeling. Mm. Yes, whereas Yehuda is also the son of an unloved mother, but a little bit down the pike. So maybe some of that has been, I don't know, uh, worked out, or maybe it's not as intense. But Yehuda is a very different nature, and we know that from... Well, we know it from the story of Yehuda and Tamar, where he shows that he's capable of change, capable of... uh, Reflection. Reflection, of, of... Portraying himself in a bad light, perhaps a little more sensitive to, you know, it has a, a stronger moral um, perception or sense. Uh, and, and learning from experience. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And he connects. I mean, when um, Mouvain makes his suggestion, okay, you can kill my sons, that's no plane of alliance with his father. <laughs> this grandfather does not want to lose two more grandchildren. He just said the reason he doesn't want to send Benjamin is because he doesn't want to lose a child. Exactly. So Ruvain is completely starting off on a negative uh, arc there. Yeah. It's a com- complete collision course That's right. with what his conversation partner wants. Whereas Yehuda gets it, that the goal here is preservation, is making a difficult situation work out. Yeah, so maybe let's go a little bit deeper into sure. how to set up a conversation so that people really will um, be open to taking your advice. Right. Um, something that, that I have found helpful is in the, the original work of study of rhetoric, Aristotle, he lists out these three famous... Whoa, 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 Aristotle, Hody! <laughs> well, okay, tell us, beginners. So I'm trying to draw on my you know, knowledge base to convince you that this is a, uh, a wise course of action when you're setting up a conversation, so I'm quoting Aristotle. It's certainly not a new problem, obviously. <laughs> it's not a new problem, and what I just did would be considered ethos, which is uh, sort of using my reputation, maybe the fact that I've learned Aristotle, so that, that gives me some authority. It could be moral authority. It could be the fact that I'm the, the eldest son, like Ruvain. So that's my, that's my ethos. And then there's logos and pathos. Logos is sort of your, your logic. You know, does, does your argument hold water? Um, does it make sense? And pathos is the emotion. Right. You know, are you speaking to my emotions? It's a, a, a simple rule of thumb for setting up a persuasive argument, but I think if you go back and apply those three categories onto our story, you see that Ruvain really is relying on, I suppose, on ethos. You know, on on his he's the he's the firstborn son, and he's sort of saying, "You got to listen to me. I have authority in this family. Listen to me." And, and I'm willing to go for broke, and I'll give away my most precious possessions. Yes, and his argument doesn't make sense. No. There's no logos. It doesn't make sense. Um, and it certainly doesn't seem to speak to his father's emotional state. If, if anything, it inflames his father's emotional Absolutely. state. Absolutely. Whereas Yehuda, I, I feel that he he really um, he cre- as you as you say he creates a connection with his father and says you know basically I will stand in I will be the guarantor because I know how important this boy is to you. And he has lost children of his own. That is an excellent point. So he is able to perhaps sympathize or empathize with his father in a way that uh, uh, that Ruven can't. Yeah, he's, he doesn't reference his children that died, his sons, but... It's hovering it's in the hovering. background. Yaakov knows. Yaakov knows, yeah. Right. And so he knows how deeply Yehuda can be trusted to take care of, uh, of his child. That's right. So, and I think in that way, perhaps he's also speaking to his father's emotions. And when he says... 
I shall stand guilty before you forever. That is not a transactional moment, right? That is a, that is a moral uh, moment where he says, basically, morality is important to me. And you know, I don't want to be guilty. So I'm, not, I'm going to make sure I bring him back. Right. So this is Hanukkah. And a lot of families hopefully are getting together and lighting candles and exchanging gifts and eating latkes. And as families get together, like on Thanksgiving and on Pesach, there tends to be conversation and there might be political conversation. And in this day and age, that can get pretty heated. So what can we offer our listeners about tense, politically polarized conversation? So I think... This this may feel obvious to people, but it bears repeating again and again that the Ruvain mode doesn't work of sort of saying, look, this is it. This is it. My I know way. what's right. And you're going to listen to me. And, and the sense of sort of um, not really even needing to engage with your listener, but just to sort of throw out your your lightning bolts. Uh, it, that doesn't work. That leads to, to Yaakov saying, I'm I'm not listening. So when you're facing these sort of difficult, conflictual conversations, I think it's important to channel Yehuda, channel him at this moment when he's confronting his father and saying, you know, I, I, I hear your, your pain, I feel it, and also channel him at that, the moment that started this whole story when they sell Joseph into slavery. And it's, Ju- it's Judah, not Reuven, who's able to convince the brothers that they, they should not kill him. And he, he doesn't just order them, he establishes a connection. And he says, what, what are we going to gain by killing our own brother? So uh, establish that connection. Use your logos, your pathos, and your ethos. Shabbat shalom. And happy Hanukkah. <laughs>